So God made a promise and God kept his promise. Now he's going to test Abraham. So he tells Abraham to take his son and God stresses his only son to Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 43. Today, what I'd like to do is talk about another Old Testament history that demonstrates the gospel. I've talked about this in previous episodes, but one of my favorite things about the Bible is how God acts out the gospel throughout biblical history. Though the Bible contains the real history of Israel, it's really a pointer to Christ and the good news of our redemption in him. For example, the story of Barabbas shows how God was acting out the gospel in a real historic story. In that real-life event, a man guilty of murder and insurrection was set free, while the man Jesus, who was innocent of any crime, was crucified in his place. The Lord Jesus Christ was innocent in every respect, and he took our sins on himself, and he died the death that we deserve. And we, the guilty party, are set free from the power of sin, death, and the devil. That's the gospel. And we see those kinds of stories, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. For example, in Genesis 3.21, soon after Adam ate the forbidden fruit, God made clothes from animal skin to cover Adam and Eve. In order to cover them with skin, an animal had to die. This real-life event points forward to the sacrificial death of Jesus. God provided the sacrifice and the covering for Adam and Eve. Furthermore, in Numbers 21, the people spoke against God and Moses, so God sent snakes among the people. Many of them were bitten by the snakes, and they died. So the people confessed their sin and asked Moses to pray for them, which he did. So God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Therefore, when someone was bitten by a snake, they would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is an actual historic event that happened over 1,400 years before Jesus was even born. Yet that real-life event pointed forward to Jesus. John chapter 3 actually mentions this. In that passage, Jesus tells Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, so Jesus must be lifted up. He's not using the bronze serpent event as an illustration of what needs to happen to him. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the bronze serpent is actually pointing to him. As the people looked upon the bronze serpent and lived, so as we look upon Christ in faith, we live. Now, what I want you to see here is that God has given us clues throughout the whole Old Testament about Jesus Christ, and he demonstrated the good news of Christ on several occasions. And I just gave you a few examples. But Genesis chapter 22 is yet another demonstration of the gospel acted out in an actual historic event. Now, before we go there, let me just give you some background information. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of Haran, which is in present-day Iraq. And he called him out of Haran to go to the promised land. Now, Abraham was about 75 years old when he left Haran. And then in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that he would give him many descendants, and God would give his descendants the land of Canaan. But now there's a problem. Abraham had no children, and his wife had given him none. In fact, Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 says that she was barren. 
But when God makes a promise, he will keep his promise despite the odds. So in Genesis chapter 21, we see the birth of Isaac, and this is the promised son. Now something else interesting to note is that Isaac was born at least 15 years after God made the promise in Genesis 15. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God makes a promise, and years go by, and Sarah produces no son. I'm sure it would be incredibly discouraging as time continues to tick by that you don't have a son. Certainly Abraham was wondering if he actually heard God correctly. Did God actually make a promise? But finally, when Abraham is about 100 years old, Sarah finally has a son despite the fact that she was barren. Now think about how joyful Abraham must have been to have a son. First of all, he had a son, but second of all, God fulfilled the promise after he waited a very long time. So God made a promise and God kept his promise. Now he's going to test Abraham. The word tested here really has the idea of proving. In other words, God didn't test Abraham to see if he had faith. He tested Abraham to prove that he had faith. Why would God test Abraham to see if he had something that God already knew he had? So it would make no sense for God to test him to see if he had faith. You see, back in Genesis chapter 15, God credited Abraham with righteousness simply because Abraham believed God's promise. So we know from Genesis 15 that he already had faith. He believed God. So in Genesis chapter 22 verse 1, we see that God tested Abraham to prove that he had faith. So he tells Abraham to take his son, and God stresses his only son, to Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. By only son, God really means his only legitimate son. If you remember, Abraham had a son with Hagar, Sarah's maid. Well, God's not talking about that son. He's talking about Isaac, the promised son. Now, you can probably see several significant issues here. First, God just told Abraham to sacrifice the son for which Abraham waited for years to have. And this son was from his barren wife, as she conceived miraculously. Second, God just told Abraham to offer the promised son. This is the son through whom God will make a great nation. This is the same son God is calling Abraham to sacrifice. Now, what would be going through your mind? I am pretty sure that I would find a reason to disobey. I'd probably say something like, are you kidding me? You want me to sacrifice the only son from my wife. I've waited years for this son, and you finally deliver on your promise, and now you want me to sacrifice him? But Abraham's response is different. He actually takes his son to the land of Moriah. Now, let me add a spoiler here. Though Abraham obeyed God and went to the land of Moriah, he's not the hero of the story. You see, here we tend to focus on Abraham. We say things like, look at this man of faith, that he believed God and he was willing to go do this disturbing act of sacrificing his own son. But he's not the hero of the story. Well, let me get back to the story. So the Bible says that Abraham rose in the morning and he prepared for the trip. He took two of his young men and he took Isaac and they went to the place that God had told him to go. They traveled for quite some time because on the third day, Abraham saw the place from a distance. And there he left the young men and the donkey, and he took Isaac with him. But listen carefully to what Abraham tells the young men in verse 5. 
he says that he and the boy are going to go over there and they're going to worship and come back again. Did you catch that? I and the boy will come again to you. Do you realize what Abraham is about to do? He's about to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. In other words, he's about ready to kill his son, the promised son, and he tells the young men that he and the boy will return. What's Abraham thinking? Listen to how the writer of Hebrews understands this. In chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham put the pieces together, and he knew God was going to keep his promise. Yet God is telling Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice, which meant he had to kill him. So Abraham knew in order for God to keep his promise, he was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Here's the amazing part. He didn't try to rescue God. He didn't obey God in order for him to keep his promise. Instead, he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That was the only logical conclusion. How else is God going to keep his promise? Abraham believed that God is the promise-keeping God and that God is the life-giving God. God is powerful and will keep his promise even when the odds are stacked against him. Abraham knew God was going to keep his promise by raising Isaac from the dead. Well, as Isaac carried the wood, he asked Abraham in verse 7 where the lamb was. Again, Abraham proves he believes God. But there's more here. He says in verse 8 that God would provide the lamb. First, did you notice for whom God is providing the lamb? God is going to provide the lamb for himself. Second, Abraham is speaking prophetically. He knows he and the boy will return. But what we don't know is what he was thinking. Did he think Isaac was the lamb that God would provide, or would God do something else? The Hebrews passage I just read indicates that he thought Isaac was the lamb because he thought God would raise him from the dead. But though he didn't realize he was prophesying, he was. God will indeed provide a lamb, as we will see. So Abraham built an altar, and he arranged the wood. He binds his son, and he lays him on the altar. With knife in hand, Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son, and the angel of the Lord stops him. He tells him in verse 12 not to lay a hand on the boy, and that he knows that Abraham fears God, because he was willing to sacrifice his only son. Now, I want to point out a couple things here. First, the angel of the Lord is God, and not a mere messenger of God. As he speaks to Abraham, he says, You have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So clearly, this is God who stopped him. Second, this proves that Abraham fears God, which means he deeply revered God and considered him greater than himself. Abraham believed God and acted on his faith, so his obedience proves his faith. But God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. God had another plan. Abraham raised his eyes and found a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham offered this ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And according to verse 14, even in the day in which Moses wrote Genesis, 
several hundred years after Abraham, it was still called the Lord will provide. Did you notice that Abraham didn't call the place the Lord provided? And did you notice several hundred years later in Moses' day, it was not said on this mountain the Lord provided? It was future tense. It will be provided. The ram caught in the thicket isn't the lamb that God would provide. The lamb that God would provide hadn't come in Moses' time. It was still to come. Second, the it in it will be provided is the lamb in verse 8. So from the time Genesis was written, there's a future lamb to be provided. So as God told Abraham to offer his only son, God is really pointing forward to when he would offer his only son. This event really is a foretaste of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Notice Abraham didn't actually sacrifice Isaac. That's because God is the hero in this story. He will provide a sacrifice, and that sacrifice is none other than his only son, Jesus Christ. And let me again point back to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 19. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, and he did so figuratively. In other words, God was even acting out the resurrection of Jesus, Isaac, and even ours. Well, then the angel of the Lord called Abraham again. God declares that he has sworn by himself because Abraham didn't withhold his son. God would greatly bless him and multiply his seed as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I want to point out a couple things here. First, we tend to think that God blessed Abraham with numerous descendants because he obeyed. But that's not really the case. God had to bless him with many descendants because God promised he would bless him with many descendants years earlier in Genesis 15. You see, God's blessing is based on his promise, not Abraham's obedience. Furthermore, Abraham was not going to fail this test because God was proving that Abraham had faith which God identified in Genesis 15. Second, what does the angel of the Lord mean by seed? He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Genesis 3.16. Make that Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the angel of the Lord was telling Abraham that he would gather people into Christ. So he's not making many seeds, but in one seed will be numerous people. So in Jesus Christ will be many people, or the church, you and me, united to Christ by faith. And who will be blessed in Abraham's seed? You who trust in Christ. You see, this is one of those places you're in the Bible. God had you in view when he made this promise to Abraham. Paul confirms this by quoting verse 18 in Galatians 3.8. Listen to what it says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And notice, it's not just Americans who benefit. God is going to gather all the nations into Christ. That's what we see even today. Churches in North America, South America, Australia, 
China, Europe, Korea, the Middle East, all over the world. God is gathering people and uniting them to Christ by faith. And this is an amazing thing when you think about it. The world leaders hate God, and they want to destroy Him, but they can't. And here's the funny thing. They can't stop the church. You see, the church has infiltrated every land. They may not be meeting in big buildings. They might actually be meeting in basements so that the authorities don't find them. But no nation can stop the church. Not a single one. Even those nations which are extremely opposed to Christianity, they can't stifle the growth of Christ's church because Christ is the one who builds his church. You see, the joke is on the nations who are trying to destroy the church. Their efforts are in vain. God is gathering people from every nation into his church, and the devil can't stop it. Jesus is the seed of Abraham that blesses all nations, and he's the one building the church, gathering Jews and Gentiles to himself. Any resistance from the devil is useless. Well, God acted out the gospel here in Genesis 22. And you can see the parallel between Christ and Isaac and between Christ and the ram. First, like Isaac is the only legitimate son of Abraham, Christ is the only begotten son of God. God called Abraham to offer Isaac in order to show God's people what he was going to do and what God has already done. God offered his own son. Isaac would have been an insufficient sacrifice. He was a sinner just like you and me. God knew this, and he knew that he needed to provide the sacrifice. He never intended for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. That would have accomplished absolutely nothing. Only Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Second, the parallel between Jesus and the ram is obvious. The ram is the sacrifice God provided for him that day, But it did nothing except point forward to the one true sacrifice that would redeem God's people. Jesus Christ is the lamb that God provided to satisfy his divine justice. Two thousand years before Christ was born, God told us about Christ when he called Abraham to offer Isaac. Today, two thousand years after Christ's resurrection... The Word of God tells us about Christ, our substitutionary sacrifice. In Abraham's time, God said he will provide. But from our perspective, God has provided. Christ is the perfect sacrifice God provided to satisfy his divine justice. And those who have faith in him are secure forever. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.